If you're looking for something to do this May 30th through June 2nd, why don't you join us at CrimeCon in Nashville, Tennessee? We can all rub elbows with people like John Walsh, John Douglas, and Chris Hansen. Come and visit Murder in the Rain on Podcast Row, where we'll be sitting next to some of our own favorite podcasts. You can get 10% off your tickets by using code RAIN at checkout at CrimeCon.com. Murder in the Rain, where each week Emily Rowney, Alicia Holland, and Josh McCullough tell true crime stories of the Pacific Northwest. Murder in the Rain contains graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. As an extra warning this week, this episode will contain references to suicide and sex abuse against children. Portland, Oregon is known for many things. The food and beer, the weirdness, the Saturday market, the beautiful outdoors, and the bridges, to name a few. Some of the city's nicknames are PDX, Rose City, Beervana, Rip City, Stumptown, Biketown, Bridge City, and Bridgetown. There are 12 to 14 truly unique bridges in Portland, depending on where you draw your border. And to quote Lizzie Acker, a writer from The Oregonian who I know from high school, Portland has both so many freaking bridges and also nowhere near enough bridges. While Portland is not even close to the city with the most bridges, the bridges here are breathtaking. And Portland is just a taste. Now, we don't claim to boast the most bridges of any state. That honor belongs to Texas with a whopping 53,000 bridges. Whoa. But Oregon has quite a few. 8,255 to be exact. Good for us. We all know bridges are functional, taking us over gorges and waterways, and that they can be beautiful, but they can also be deadly. There are two bridges that I'm aware of in the U.S. that have been nicknamed Suicide Bridge. One in Portland, the Vista Bridge, which has since been modified to deter suicide, a feat that has shown great success, and the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. There have been at least 1,800 suicides on the Golden Gate Bridge, easily making it the bridge with the most suicides in the world. There have been millions of dollars spent to find ways to keep that number from climbing, some of those efforts more successful than others. Whether a bridge is the highest, the longest, the most beautiful, any bridge offers risks. Even those with Hollywood notoriety, like the Astoria Megler Bridge in Astoria, Oregon, which can be spotted in movies such as Kindergarten Cop, Free Willy 2, Short Circuit, and The Goonies. While I don't have an official number, the Astoria Megler Bridge has drawn attention because many people looking to end their lives have found themselves on that bridge. In 2016, a woman named Jillian McCabe threw her autistic six-year-old son, London, off that bridge, and he died after falling 133 feet and hitting the water, which shattered most of his bones. Finally, in 2022, the state started to make efforts to reduce the number of people dying. Needless to say, in 1998, when the body of a young girl washed up on the shore of the Columbia River in Warrington, Oregon, it was easy to assume she was another vulnerable person drawn to the Astoria-Megler Bridge to end her own life. 
but her body would tell another story. Authorities had to work quickly to identify her, her killer, and his motive. During the investigation, a secret life was uncovered, one that abused and exploited children for years. In today's case, we'll discuss the murder of Heather Frazier and the monster who took her life and negatively impacted dozens of others. In the early dawn hours on February 24, 1998, a man was down by the shore of the Columbia River near Warrington, Oregon, just west of Astoria. He sat drinking his coffee while his dogs ran around and enjoyed a bit of freedom. The dogs were used to this. It was their early morning ritual. But that morning, out of nowhere, the dogs took off towards a spot in the water. The man, worried that they may have found a dead animal, went to take a look at what interested them and discovered the body of a young girl. The man got his dogs into the car and quickly drove away so that he could find a phone to call the police. By the time the sun was fully up, police arrived at the scene and began bringing the body to shore. The girl was obviously a teenager. She was Caucasian, roughly 5'6 and about 110 pounds. She was fully clothed but wasn't wearing a coat. The weather in the area often reached a low of 37 degrees. Due to how and where she was found, it was assumed that she was a possible victim of suicide, likely having jumped from the Astoria-Megler Bridge that stretches from the north in Megler, Washington, across the Columbia to the south in Astoria. Her body would have floated to the west and washed up on the shores of Warrington. Sadly, this was not an uncommon story in the area. The girl was noted temporarily as an accidental drowning victim, and her body was taken to the forensic pathologist for an autopsy while the police attempted to discover her identity. Searching for local missing teens in the area was a bust. They knew almost everyone. It was clear she wasn't local, so they began contacting other agencies in the hope of finding a teen that fit her description. In order to expedite the likelihood of getting Jane Doe identified, a sketch was created of the girl so that it could be aired on the news. Her drawn image, alongside photos of the jewelry she was wearing, was soon on TVs across the state. Someone somewhere had to know who she was. And they were right. A woman was watching the news when she noticed that the sketch of the girl police were attempting to identify looked a lot like her granddaughter. She contacted her daughter, Rhonda Frazier of Portland, to tell her to turn on the news and look at the images. Rhonda was currently worried about where her daughter was for days now. The sinking feeling she had been having was about to grow even worse. She turned on the news and couldn't believe what she saw. The sketch looked just like her 15-year-old daughter, Heather. But the jewelry was definitely Heather's. She knew immediately the body belonged to her daughter. That Wednesday night, Rhonda contacted the police to tell them she believed the girl in the sketch was her daughter, Heather. In order to match her identity, Rhonda submitted photos and copies of Heather's fingerprints, which she happened to have after having her fingerprinted as a precaution when she was a young child. The fingerprints of Jane Doe and Heather Frazier were a match. Unfortunately for the Frazier family, the loss of their beloved Heather would grow more painful with each piece of information they received. The forensic pathologist would give troubling news to the police. Heather's death wasn't an accidental drowning or a suicide. There was clear evidence that Heather had been murdered. While Heather was found dressed, her body showed evidence that she had been raped. There was enough semen found to do DNA testing. Unfortunately, whoever had raped her was not already in the law enforcement database. Heather had endured some head trauma, 
and ultimately died due to strangulation. The perpetrator had used her own necklace as a ligature. Her neck also had fingerprint-shaped bruises, and there were petechia on her face. Heather's blood was tested, and the toxicology report showed high levels of morphine. They were so high, in fact, that had she not been strangled to death, she could have died from the morphine because it was at least two times a lethal dose for someone her size. That's like an insane amount of morphine. Yeah, that's a lot. So she was about 115 pounds. I mean, I don't know how much you'd have to ingest, but two times you'd think you'd already, you'd either have to take it at once, right? Yeah, Because probably. you couldn't mm-hmm. stay awake Unless he was long. like injecting her with it yeah. and keeping her unconscious. It was more important than ever to understand Heather's last movements before she died. There was a violent rapist and killer on the loose, and he had several days on them. Rhonda worked with police to help create a timeline of Heather's day, at least what she knew of it. Heather had told her mother on the 23rd that she would be out for a few hours to go to a friend named Marty's house to use his computer. He was the only friend she had that had access to both a computer and internet, so she liked to go over there to play video games. When Rhonda returned home from work the next day, Heather wasn't home, nor had she called. So after another day of being unable to contact her, she started calling her friends. She called Marty, and Marty explained that he and Heather had made plans for her to come over, but she never showed up. Investigators questioned the family about the friend Marty, and they learned that they really didn't know much about him other than what Heather told him, and that was he had a computer, She liked to play games there, and he was a little bit older, maybe in his 20s. Mm. Yeah. Marty. Investigators searched Heather's room and found a bit of helpful information. She had this habit of drawing on her walls, and one of those walls was completely dedicated to her friends' names and phone numbers. So there, scrawled on Heather's wall, was the name Marty, and underneath it was a phone number. So... They had that information, and then they also talked to some of Heather's friends, and they spoke to a guy named Tate. And Tate said, yes, Marty is older, and he clearly has a thing for Heather because he would always hit on her. But more troublesome than that, Tate claimed that Marty would often give Heather drugs and alcohol. Soon, authorities learned that Marty was short for Martin Allen Johnson, and he was older. And I'm not talking 20-something, like Heather had previously told her family, Martin Johnson was a 41-year-old sewage treatment plant worker in Portland. And of course, he had a record. Marty. Once officers started looking into him, they learned that he was actually on probation for federal drug charges. Johnson had been sentenced to 22 years in October of 1986 for possession of cocaine and marijuana with the intent to distribute. So he was a drug dealer. right? He also had a previous conviction and was caught with a firearm. So once you're Mm. already on probation, you get a firearm, there's another charge. But he was paroled in 1993. So if you're counting, that's seven years into his 22-year sentence. Sounds about right. Martin Johnson lived in Hillsborough with his mother and brother. He drove a black Acura that had a vanity plate, and it said, I think, Tigerl, T-I-G-E-R-L. Not sure what that means. And it turns out, In the very early hours of February 24th, prior to the discovery of Heather's body, he was pulled over while driving south on Highway 30. Now that goes from Warrington to Portland. Hmm. Coincidence? Mm -mm. The officer stopped him because he had a broken light, but he noted um, 
you know, I think they take notes after they pull everyone over. He noted that the guy was acting nervous and evasive. But I mean, there's nothing he could really do other right. than give him a ticket. Yeah. Now, clearly, at this time, police have their sights set on this Marty Johnson character, but they were having a ton of trouble trying to get a hold of him. They called all of his phone numbers and even paged him. Yes, that was back when Ooh, pagers beep, still beep. existed. They made several visits to his home address, but no one ever answered or appeared to even be home. Eventually, they contacted a neighbor who was able to convince Johnson to speak to them. They cordially invited him over the phone to come in for an interview to the police station, which he did attend. In his interview, he claimed that the last time he had seen Heather was a week prior to her disappearance. Like he had told Rhonda previously, he explained Heather never arrived as planned on the night of the 23rd. As the questioning went on, he kept telling detectives about how tired he was. But at the same time, every time they asked a question, he was very quick to answer it. So they thought he might have been lying about being tired. And that's the best you can come up with is, oh, we were. Yeah, we were actually going to hang out that night, but we just didn't. Yeah, like I, that. I think he's tr he's trying to say, oh, if something happened to her, it happened maybe on the way to my yeah. house or something. But I was home playing video games. Mm. While the interview was taking place with detectives, other officers began coordinating the appropriate paperwork to get a warrant to obtain Johnson's hair and DNA. However, while they did so, they ran into an issue which required the detectives conducting the interview to take a break and come help sort it out. They excused themselves and asked Johnson to remain in the room, but they made a mistake. While they were out, Johnson was left alone with the tape recorder. Now, mind you, the tape recorder is not secured in any way. So he decided to rewind it and record <gasps> over it while they were out of the room, thus ruining anything that may have been captured during the interview oh, that they they might want to use against him. God. The information he shared about when he saw her last. And then, like, can you prove tampering with evidence in that case? Well, like, I, uh, he I mean, he yeah, rewound it, on it. Video or something? No, it was Just a tape audio? recorder. No, I mean, like they, they didn't, didn't have video in the interrogation room. I don't think so, no. Oh, oh yeah, because this is, this is pager days. But this oh, ruins true. all their plans oh, to be able to look back at God. what he said he was doing versus where they think the he foons. where he think he was. The, you know, what his explanation was for having not seen her. Everything they had oh, would just God. be hearsay, right? Yeah. Because it's just what they heard. God. To add insult to injury, the issue getting the warrant couldn't be corrected the same day due to a clerical error, so they'd have to wait until the next morning to get it sorted out. Now, one of the detectives working on the case had hoped that she could arrest him for tampering with evidence due to the tape recorder, but her superior said no, telling her, quote, we're working a murder case, not a tampering case. OK, so fuck her for thinking outside of the box and like trying to get him off the street, right? I'm sure there was more to it because they would have had to yeah, maybe explain they that they have left enough. the tape recorder or with a potential murder. They didn't have proof that he did it. Like maybe they didn't check that the recording had worked in the first right. place. I don't know. But I'm that, sure that's that's what it sounds like to me is that she's like, hey, what if we do this? And they're like, we can't do that because <laughs> we'll get in trouble. The next morning, they received the warrants to obtain his DNA and search his residence. By the time they had prepared to head over to get him, they received a phone call from his brother. Johnson had stolen his brother's car and his credit card and left town. So that uh, tampering case might not have been such a bad idea, huh, Captain? I don't know if it was the captain, but I assume it yeah, was. Yeah, Captain. 
A warrant for his arrest was issued and U.S. Marshals were called to help locate him and bring him in. Meanwhile, investigators begin searching his residence and looking for clues to what happened to Heather. Side note, after getting wind of what was going down with the cops and that they were after him, his parole officer requested an emergency parole term violator warrant because A, he stole a car, B, he had moved without telling the Mm. parole officer where he was living, and C, he had failed to go to work the day that Heather's body was discovered. So I think when you're on parole, if you don't show up for work, they're going to call your yeah. parole officer. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not sure the details, but I'm guessing that these would add some extra charges once he is actually caught. Yeah. The warrants issued allowed investigators to search his car and his home, and it included, quote, samples of earth, soil and sand, hair and other trace evidence, clothing and personal items belonging to Frazier, and any letters or writings from or belonging to Heather, any computer password or any other identification purporting to belong to Heather Frazier. Okay, that's going to come in handy. Okay. So what did you not hear on that list? Just just think about that for a second. So both his car and his computer were seized for forensic investigation. And once they began looking at those, they made quite a few interesting discoveries. While searching the car, his black Acura, investigators located a blood smear on the door of the hatchback. The forensic technicians were later able to match that blood to a sample of Heather's DNA. So her blood on his car. Mm -hmm. On his computer, they found an entry from early in the morning of February 24th. And it was a search of the tide tables for Astoria (gasps) and Warrington. Why would someone need to know that? Maybe to make sure a body would Uh be washed out to sea? Windsurfing. Yeah, I mean, just a casual windsurf in February. Yeah. Photos were also found depicting young girls, sometimes nude. And even more disturbing than that, they learned that Heather wasn't the only victim. There was overwhelming evidence that Johnson regularly preyed on young girls. He would give them drugs and alcohol and take them to nightclubs. He would have sex with them, but he would also give them drugs to make them unconscious so he could sexually assault them. Mm. Now, this information came from the computer they found. On it was a terrifying document, a spreadsheet that was like a sick address book detailing a list of girls as young as 12. He had their names, their ages, their phone numbers and their addresses, physical descriptions, and worst of all, sexually explicit details about them and the abuse that he inflicted (sighs) on them. So he would do something to them and note it in his Excel spreadsheet. (sighs) I guess I'm glad he did. So they had the proof. That's true. I wish all bad guys did that. Documented their crimes. But how sick is that to find? You're literally looking for one girl. And And he's obviously referencing it, you know, going back to it or it's his own little trophy or whatever. And it's a long list. It's (sighs) not just like 12 people. This is a very long list. Now, investigators had a long list of victims that could help them understand Johnson's motives and previous behaviors. And this guy was a piece of shit. I mean, we already knew that, but they learned about how he got that list of names from the other girls they talked to. It was from a ruse that he constructed and acted out all around downtown Portland. He claimed he was getting signatures for a petition so that he could have the legal drinking age lowered. And I mean, what teenager is not going to sign that? He probably had every kid in town signing up on this list.
Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up to your door in as little as two days. And when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out and choose more styles. Like many of you, my personal style has evolved over the years. But if I want to try something new, sometimes it's hard to know what pieces will work for me. Rather than going to the mall for hours or spending too much money on pieces I might not like, Armoire allows me to rent high-quality designer clothes for any occasion. I can try styles I never considered before without worrying about the store's return policy, like a pair of faux leather pants for my new band. Of course, all of this sounds great, but what's even better is that it's a woman-founded business. You benefit from finding the perfect outfits, all while supporting a business that was built by women just like us. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murder in the rain. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murder in the rain, one word, to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom or the motherly figure in your life? Let me tell you about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send your recipient a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about, for example, your mom's life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or record her voice. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories forever. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Obviously, we love anything surrounding storytelling. It's what we do. So to be able to gift this to my mom, to not only hear her stories, but the stories of my grandparents and other family members, it will create a cherished gift for all of us to enjoy. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code RAIN at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code RAIN for 10% off today. Once Johnson had their information, the next step was identifying the ones he wanted to prey on. He'd then contact them and get them to hang out for free booze. So come on over. Yeah, you he can already have knows. Free booze. And he already knows that they're interesting. Exactly. Because that was the topic he started with. Yep. Now, during these hangout sessions, he would ply them with alcohol and drugs and he'd wait for them to become incapacitated and then he would sexually assault them. Some of the girls detailed to detectives that they woke up during the assault, like it wore off and then he's having sex with them. Why can't people with this kind of mind power do something use good? It for good? I know. 
One of the other girls said that she believed he did put a drug in her drink because she felt the impact of a single drink immediately. This, of course, would explain the morphine that Heather had in her system. He was likely putting liquid morphine into the alcohol he was giving the girls. After investigating and looking into him, they learned that Johnson had been in the U.S. Navy and was trained on how to use morphine as a painkiller in the field. He also had access to the drug because his father was in hospice and Johnson was cleared to administer liquid morphine to him. Oh, my God. Now, none of the girls reported the assaults out of fear for underage drinking. He was also old, old as fuck, and intimidating and scary. And you can imagine they just want to move on and not think about it because they're probably blaming themselves for even being in the situation. And if he has all that documented, he can say like, oh, I could call your mom at this phone number and tell her like. Or just that you signed up to have the lower the drinking Mm -hmm. age lower. Or if or if he did assault them and then say like. You know, using that to say, well, you came here and this had you need your mom to know that you had sex or something, even though it's rape. But when you're a child, you don't really think about that, at at least back then. I feel like now it's more prevalent. Definitely more of a conversation for sure. But yeah. And police believe that because they weren't reporting it, he was just gaining more and more Mm -hmm. confidence that this was the way to go about doing this. So that list was just growing and growing. So now they didn't have a single teenager dead, but this long list of children who were victimized by this man. And he's out on the lam. You'd think it would be easy to find him as he only had a few hours head start. But you know how this goes. Mm -hmm. It was about a year before there was a break in the case. America's Most Wanted aired an episode featuring Martin Johnson and a call came in from Kissimmee, Florida. His roommate was watching the show and realized that the guy he had been calling Matthew Johnson or Ty, who he'd been living with, was a total fraud. His real name was Martin Johnson. Authorities were unable to find Johnson at his home in Florida. So marshals got into contact with his roommate and they concocted a plan. And boy, do I love a good sting, right? This is good, too. I'm going to have to watch The Fugitive today. Again. (laughs) Is this the the roommate is doing a... Yes. A snatch him up? Wow. Yep. The roommate. What a dream. And America's most wanted snatch him up? <laughs> yeah. Ay, that's I great. know. Imagine <laughs> that you're just oh. like sitting on a Thursday night eating popcorn, watching America's most wanted, and there's your roommate. And then the U.S. Marshals call you and they're like, hey, you want to do a plan with us? Hell yeah, I do. The level of tattling going on here it's and great. the outcome has me. Oh, yeah, you get to work wow. with John Walsh. Wow. One of the greatest tattlers. Hello, I'm calling the tattle number because I have an actual tattle. Oh. So the roommate explained that Ty went out almost every single night and he often brought young girls home with him. That's super gross. But he basically said, wait until after two in the morning. And if he comes home, I will turn the light on the porch light <gasps> and you can just come in and arrest him. And they're like, yes, let's do it. This is like literally making me giddy. It's I know. like a Hitchcock movie or something. So the marshals are waiting outside and the porch light goes on and oh they bust in and he's naked <gasps> on the pot taking a dump. <laughs> I mean, it's just great timing. So oh they let God. him finish up, wipe his ass, whatever. He denies that he's the Martin Johnson they're looking for, but they search his room and the things they found are they just do not it's bode well. Him. It's obviously him. There are books on being a fugitive, books on 
There are books on changing your identity. How to be a fugitive and, from dummies. And there are materials that you would need to make fake IDs like social security oh, cards, passports. Plastic. Uh, laminate. Yeah, yes. laminate. Everything yeah, you can imagine. <laughs> Everything you can imagine. What year is this? 90. Oh, oh 90, God. 91. I'm saying he, he didn't get a chance to see the fugitive. Yeah. <laughs> to really get some wow. inspo. Yeah. So as they're looking in his room... Unfortunately, they uncover evidence of a new ruse. He had a pile of cards that were designed for entering a contest. And on them were the names and numbers of girls. And again, on the back of the card were descriptions of their bodies and their ages. He also had photo albums that contained dozens of photos of him drinking with underage girls, many of which depicted them nude. Among his items was also evidence of Heather in the form of a newspaper clipping of the discovery of her body. So trophy, oh. anyone? Red flag. Yeah. Martin Johnson, or Ty, was taken into custody and they were able to confirm his identity by fingerprinting him. They also took the opportunity to collect his DNA, which was run against the DNA from Heather's sexual assault kit, and it was a match. When they brought him back to Oregon, I, this pisses me off so much, when they brought him back, he says to the officers, quote, you should have never let me go. So, yeah, we know the officer was right. That female officer yep. was right. They yep. should have found a way to arrest him for one night. Because how many more victims in that year? Absolutely. Probably dozens. Yep. Dozens upon dozens. Martin Johnson was charged with six counts of aggravated murder on March 11th, 1999. Then on June 15th, a grand jury added more for a total of 11 counts of aggravated murder. And I'm sorry I don't know more about that, but I think it has to do with, like, the way she died, disposing oh, her body, her right. age. You know, they can find any little yeah. issue there to do uh, that. Or at least the they could with, back then. Uh, with evidence. Yes. Uh, tampering. Now, we've changed what aggravated murder is in Oregon since then, which we'll get into in a minute. But back then, there were, there were a lot of different things yeah. that would count. So they had 11 total counts, which was awesome. Wow. Did he go by Ty? In Florida, he went by Ty because his brother's name is Ty. Oh, probably stole his ID or something too, and yeah. having his truck. Not sure, but yeah, uh, that's what I was. If the yeah, the Thai tiger. Uh, yeah. Oh. Thai. Yeah, yeah that know. could be. Maybe it's an, a little nickname you like. Mm -hmm. At trial, prosecution argued that Heather had indeed gone to Johnson's home as planned, and he plied her with alcohol laced with liquid morphine. He raped her and then murdered her to cover up his crimes. He then disposed of her body by throwing it off the bridge, assuming her body would eventually be lost in the Pacific Ocean. But it was washed up to shore where it was later discovered. Defense tried to claim that Heather and Johnson had consensual sex and that she drowned after being thrown off the bridge, essentially saying it was attempted murder. Like, sorry, he sorry didn't she murder died her. while I was trying to kill her. And also, can you have consensual sex when you are not of age? Exactly. Now, the reason they went for the attempted murder is because they wanted to avoid the death penalty, which is at play in this year right. when you are when you are arrested for aggravated murder. Now, they backed this up by bringing in an expert witness who was a forensic pathologist who testified that there was both water and silt found in her lungs, mm. suggesting that she hadn't died from strangulation and that she had tried to breathe at least once while in the water. The doctor also testified that the amount of morphine found in her body was too low to cause her death. Now, another side note here, Heather's friends and family knew she was a lesbian. 
And they believed that there was no way in hell she would ever have consensual sex with a man, let alone a 41-year-old man, which lines up because his M.O. is clearly not consensual. Right. And for her, maybe because on her end, the sexual element was removed from the relationship. He was just a friend. Yeah, it's okay that he's older. He's got booze and a computer and that's cool. And there's nothing romantic or anything because I'm not into dudes. But then her friends are witnessing him constantly trying to get up on her. And maybe she didn't know that or didn't want to recognize it. Mm -hmm. Now, prosecution was able to have four of the women who were child victims of him testify about the sexual abuse they endured. They told their personal stories about him giving them alcohol undressing them, touching them, waking up to him, having intercourse with them. And the intent was to show that he repeatedly gained access to young girls in order to administer some kind of drug to incapacitate them so he could rape them. This was a pattern that he wasn't going to break anytime soon. And it showed that he likely followed the same pattern with Heather. Mm. And were there any charges? Was he only being charged for Heather? Was it too late? Just Heather. Okay, because statute of limitations, I'm assuming. Yeah. I'm guessing it was still about three years then. Yeah. The forensic pathologist who spoke for defense was later found not to be credible. And another doctor ended up presenting that the amount of morphine in her system could have caused her death. In fact, it probably did, because the only way it wouldn't is if you were addicted to opioids and there was zero proof that she had an addiction to opioids. This pathologist said that there were no clinical findings to support drowning. But they also didn't believe that the death was actually caused by strangulation, given the lack of internal injuries. So they saw the fingerprints and the marks on her neck. But the inside, they said there was I don't think there was that broken bone that usually breaks. uh So they did believe it was an overdose. Okay. The hyoid? Hyoid, yes. How long was she in the water? We don't know for sure, but a few hours. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. She she washed up very quickly. Yeah. So, you know, it's. The, that bridge is slightly to the east of where she washed up, but I think the tide probably wasn't full force or, you know, was it brought her in because that area, so it's in northwest of the state, if anyone wants to grab a mat, it dips down, the Columbia dips down into Warrington and then kind of goes back up and then out to the Pacific. So it makes sense that anything washing that way would end up there if the tides were in. At least that's my assumption. I didn't do a deep dive on tide tables, but <laughs> tide tables, excuse me. My takeaway from this trial, though, is it's amazing how many doctors you can put on a stand mm-hmm. who all look at an autopsy and come away with differing opinions. Yeah. I would think the jury would be confused, but they all came away with a consensus that he absolutely did it. Now, he was acquitted of three charges, and I don't know exactly what they were, but it may have to do with um, the strangulation. I believe one was with the strangulation, but so three of them were cleared. So he was found guilty of eight counts of aggravated murder. And in 2001, he was sentenced to the death penalty. As we see with almost every single death penalty case, there are many appeals that happen after the fact. Johnson initially appealed his sentence, claiming 48 errors had been made in his trial. Now, this really stemmed around things like his computer being seized unlawfully because it was not specifically listed in the warrant, which would mean which would mean his electronic files, including the tide table and the Excel, wouldn't be used against him. Right Mm. now, the court agreed. Yes, the computers were outside the scope of the warrant, but That seizure was proper because of what's called plain view. Now, this basically means 
when you go into a house, you have a warrant for a house. The computer was in plain sight and they believed, they weren't like digging for it. No, they believed okay. it's right there and there's evidentiary value. Okay. Because the the warrant did say Heather's computer passwords and anything she may have been writing. Oh. So anything she was doing on that computer was up for grabs and they can't help that they discovered mm-hmm. this like flaming pile of clues there. Right. So sorry buddy, motion denied. Good try. Yeah, nice try. Yeah. Eventually, one of his appeals did work and his conviction was overturned. Now, this boiled down to the court recognizing that he had inadequate representation at his first trial. This resulted in Johnson being given a new trial by a Marion County judge in 2013. That then has to go to the Supreme Court. And in 2017, the Supreme Court upheld the ruling, which meant he was granted a new trial in 2019. All those years later. Now, this comes at an interesting time, and we've talked about this on several episodes, but it boils down to Senate Bill 1013. Now, this is when Oregon sees major changes to the death penalty and basically what constitutes aggravated murder. At that point in time, the new definition of aggravated murder defined it as, quote, certain acts of terrorism prison murders by those already incarcerated for a prior murder, premeditated murders of children aged 13 or younger, and premeditated murders of law enforcement personnel. This meant that Johnson was no longer qualified to get the death penalty because his victim was 15. Because it was older previously. Right. Now, his new trial in 2019, his defense changed. This time, he claimed that Heather had willingly ingested morphine and committed suicide or died accidentally. He claimed that she came over, they had consensual sex, and then took drugs and alcohol. He fell asleep, and when he woke up, she was dead. And he was so scared that he was going to be blamed that he wrapped her up in a blanket, drove her out to Astoria, and dropped her off the bridge. That is a plausible storyline if she were having sex with him, if she wasn't a lesbian, if he didn't have a a long list of victims that he was giving drugs to and or raping. other witnesses reporting that that's what he did to them. Also that that she had she had evidence of rape. It's not just right. sex looks different than rape mm-hmm. on a human body. And we know that. I mean, in most cases. Yeah. So sorry. Nice try. So despite that really good effort, Johnson was found guilty of eight counts of first degree murder again. But he couldn't be put back on death row. So the judge sentenced him to life with no parole, which was a total win because the other option was life with an option for parole after 30 years. But the judge was very clear. This guy is a threat to young girls. He's not going to stop. He will come up with another ruse. So we might as well just put him away forever. Oh, good. Horrible storyline. A very sad, sad ending to a girl that had a ton of promise. Like she was well like she was fun loving she had big plans for her life and it just ended terribly and unfortunately there were many more victims right after they made a clerical error and he got out like <sighs> tale as old as time in our yeah, recent episode i know but luckily he was caught thanks to his tattletale roommate yeah. who we will forever say good job to hopefully who, yeah he definitely saved lives he did absolutely this guy would have kept going and he would have murdered again yeah Wow. I have never heard of this guy. 
Uh, oh, and you'll take a look just... at his pictures on the blog, guys. He's a real oh, winner. And I, he would have never passed for 20. So I think Heather was likely covering up. Like, it probably is weird that I'm hanging out with a guy this old, but right. I'm not interested in him. She wasn't, And he's letting me access a computer, which back then... Was all we had. I know that sound <laughs> like that might sound really weird to younger people that but like, I know it. lived with computers. We had a friend who we would go to his house because he had the internet. Like, yeah. not just the AOL sample thing that came in the mail. Yep. He had the internet. I had no go, computer, like, no internet. Games. I would. I spent the entire summer at my friend Heidi's house talking to boys online and doing long distance calls with them and her mom was pissed. But, <laughs> but it was the summer of a lifetime. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. So I get that allure for back then. Absolutely. But just what a sicko. Just the effort. You said eight counts of murder eight counts of aggravated yeah first degree how does that is it that's what she was saying of like um disposal of evidence yeah and so when, oh, oh, so like related and, crime yeah, yeah. Not, so when oh, it's okay. a ch- also when it's a child so when you kill a child you not only get aggravated murder you get aggravated murder again because it's a child there's like it's almost like varying degrees mm-hmm. and i i think i went through it on they like compound an, themselves when they're yeah, together. yeah. i went yeah. through them all in an episode uh what happens in the house i believe yeah. i talked a lot about the death penalty changes because mm-hmm. that impacted that case so if you don't remember that one that was the woman who starved and beat yeah. her yeah. child uh, anyway go back and listen to that for more info on the death penalty it's very interesting like i get what they were trying to do but some of the doozies that got retrials out of that yeah. fuck i mean i don't think any of them got an option for parole exactly but, but still, still dangerous yeah. scary game to play i know well i'm glad he's actually put away this time yep but i wouldn't be surprised if we see him pop up again in a in an article yeah i hope he just like takes his punishment and we can move on yeah how old is he oh god i can't do math like that. Or what year was it's he born been, so that was 98 he was 41 98, he was 41, and that was like so 20, add 20 years year, ago. Yeah. Why you put math on the spot like that? So sorry. <laughs> I'll cut it all out. Well, that's good. He's very old, or he's getting old, and he's been in prison for a long time, so maybe he'll just uh, die. Yeah, even if die? something happened, if, well, yeah, maybe he'll just die in prison. But also, in this case, he is, the age might help because of what his MO was. You know, like if he were to somehow get paroled, which we've seen Stranger Things, who gets paroled in Stranger Things? Just kidding. <laughs> but the idea of like walking up to people to sign a petition or whatever Ugh. when you're in your mid-70s. I know this type of guy, too. There was a guy in my hometown. He was in his 20s and he always was hitting on middle schoolers. Ugh. And like we fell for it because we're like, oh, he has money in a car. Well, and you and don't know like when you're little. You don't recognize grooming or. Yeah, he was totally grooming. And he went by like rat or something. So <laughs> it was disgusting. That's how you knew he was cool. <laughs> it matches his rat tail. I was just looking up, uh, we were talking about old convicts, and so I looked up the case that I covered, Harvey Kerrigan. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And then he was still alive in prison. He died this March. Oh my gosh, wait, which Good one for was March. that? He was, he's, uh, <laughs> he would pretend to hire girls at the service station that he ran, oh, and then he would take yeah. them out and then, you know, rape yeah, them and then yeah. hit them with a hammer, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he finally died uh, oh, six months ago. Yeah. March did its job this year. Hell yeah. <laughs> so. Let's hear it from March. Yes. This is on a second recording now. Second recording. 
Sorry. Fuck. Can you cut it or should I do it again? <laughs> Our software isn't that advanced. All right. One more time. I'm sorry, Beervana? Yeah, I read that online. Oh, like of beer and Nirvana. Yeah. Wow. Never heard of it. Fun fact. One in Portland. Whoops. One in Port. Oh, my God. One in. One in Portland. And the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. San Francisco. San Francisco. It's on the Golden State Bridge. Easily. Uh, what? Gate. What did I say? State. State. <laughs> the fuck? You love basketball. Can you go back? You kind of said doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Doo-doo. She didn't kind of. Yeah. <laughs> well. Doo-doo. I was trying to. I was trying to soften it up. Like a doo-doo. Like a doo-doo. The girl was noted temporarily. Um, can you turn myself up in my ear? My earns? My earns? <laughs> I believe Too so. much? Uh, no, that's fine. All right. Oh, I'm so sorry. How was that? America's Most Wanted aired an episode featuring Martin Johnson, and a call came in for Kissimmee. <laughs> and uh, opioids. You can end it there. I'm getting texts from my Botox lady. That's exciting. <laughs> a Botox? A Botox. Oh. I, get a, I get a coupon, so I try not to book until I get the coupon, but I'm like... Which would mean his electronic files, including the timetable. Oh, my God. Oh, my. Eventually, though, one of his peels. Oh, my God. Eventually. What? <laughs> banana. I said banana. Murder in the Rain is a Cascade Media production written, hosted and edited by Josh McCullough, Emily Rowney and Alicia Holland. Feel free to email us at murderintherain at gmail.com or through our website, murderintherain.com. For as little as a dollar a month, you can subscribe on Patreon to get exclusive access to ad-free and older episodes. For only $5, you can access Patreon-exclusive episodes and content. For more of us, be sure to follow on all the socials, listen to Josh and Alicia on their other show, Always Be My Sisters, and follow Emily on TikTok at M underscore Murder in the Rain. And suck my balls. <laughs>